This is the Hot Specs Hotcast with Hot Specs CEO Shane Skillen. Hey there, ladies and gentlemen. It is Shane Skillen again with another Hotcast. Very happy today to be joined by a guy that I met at a really cool conference called The Gathering Once Upon a Time. And why The Gathering is so cool is that it's actually in Banff, Canada. And why that's important is because you can go snowboarding instead of going to the conference or part of it. And that is where you can build relationships with amazing people on chairlifts. You know, I've never ridden a chairlift with someone I haven't stayed in touch with and and enjoyed the company of and, and talking to in the future. Well, maybe, maybe that's not totally true, but I think the odds are pretty high that if you've 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 shredded slopes with someone that you're gonna you're gonna have a lifelong friendship. And that's that's brought us to me talking to Dave Allard today here, who is formerly uh, the marketing leader of both Coca-Cola and Samsung Canada. Uh, incredible guy. And when when what I really like about Dave is that when you ask his team about him, they just gush, you know, creative guy, willing to try willing to try new things, understands the complexity of business. And he brought forth great frameworks to help his team at Coca-Cola understand how to build that iconic brand and all the iconic brands that are in that Coca-Cola portfolio. So, Dave, welcome to the podcast. How are hey, you? man. Thanks. And listen, before we start, I just like to say I think that I am the net beneficiary of those ski uh, those ski those ski slope discussions because I actually got some great tips from you on the scopes and how to how to actually go faster. I don't think I ever got to the bottom faster than you. Uh, but, uh, but I do think, uh, you know, I appreciate the, I appreciate the tips. So, uh, you know, we both win out of that one. That's for sure. Yeah. Full disclosure. I, uh, I used to be a uh, semi-professional snowboard racer and I ski race for years and years. So, um, if I could be as good at, uh, marketing as you are because of that, I, I think you win because I think your marketing class has been a more valuable life skill than <laughs> my limited skiing and snowboarding ability. So we're, we're in a crisis. I was just telling you, I, I once again am parked in my car underneath an LTE Rogers cellular tower because this is where I can get the best signal to actually run a, an, a lossless audio podcast. So it's it's the COVID-19 crisis and it's it's ongoing. I, I think we're in about you know, week, week five right now. Yeah. So what a great, what an interesting time to talk about, to talk about a crisis and how, how brands evolve. I mean, what do you, what's your perspective on that? And, you know, look, there's going to be always, brands will always be in crisis. You know, General Motors was in crisis when Tesla was launched. You've got Google in crisis when the government's starting to wonder if they've got too much information on them. I mean, it seems like, you know, the job of a brand leader is to, to create growth and to be ready for a crisis. So, I mean, just talk to me a little bit about like what yeah. your perspective on a crisis and how brands deal with that. Yeah, I, I, I'm happy to. But I, let me just you know first say a couple of things is that you know it's you know you're absolutely right. Um, brands go crisis go through crisis all the time, and uh, you know often it's it is the people at the front that you know bear the brunt of those crises um, uh, with customers, with retailers, with consumers. And I think you know that if 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 there's anything we should do before we start talking, because God knows there's a lot of people talking, is 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 just really you know say thank you to all of those people on the front line uh, in in our business uh, and uh, and in the in in the healthcare business and um, you know I just I think I'm just everybody's just so grateful for the huge amount of effort and and courage uh, that those people are uh, demonstrating right now. So. Uh, I, I did. I did want to start by by saying that. I, I I think you know, 
brands go through crises all the time, um, whether it's a small PR crises or an internal crises. Uh, but you know, this one's um, this one obviously is is very very different um, than what most brands will go through, um, and what actually a lot of people go through in their careers, uh, whether it be externally or internally internally grounded. Um, and I think if we only have to look at our our own lives, and you know that how often does this happen where you're forced to kind of solve for these problems, um, you know, in completely different locations like we're like we're dealing with right now. Um, but I do, but I do think you know, brands like people have to look at you know some common, some common experiences that we go through at periods of change, uh, and that's kind of my per- first you know starting point with this is that you know people's lives change all the times, sometimes willingly and sometimes not willingly, and uh, I try to look for the models that. Um, you know, I've used personally to deal with that sort of change in my life. And, you know, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day around, you know, if you've ever been an expat in another country, um, uh, it, there's, there's something called the rule of sixes that somebody told me, uh, before I, I, you know, moved my family over to the UK for a couple of years. Uh, And, uh, and it always stuck with me and it, it seems really applicable. And, And that is, so the rule of sixes goes like this. If you haven't, have you ever heard of it before? I've not heard of the rule no. of sixes. What okay, is so the rule the rule of sixes goes like this. So, you know, you've picked up your family, you're moving to a new country that you've never lived in before, and you know, the first be- the first milestone is six days. And after six days, you know, you are absolutely confused. You wake up, you don't know where you are, you can't figure out how to get things done. Uh, you don't know how to function even at a basic level. Um, and you you know, you're actively trying to figure out how to undo the mess that you've created by being there. Um the next milestone is actually kind of where we are right now in this crisis. And that's kind of the six week mark. And that's actually when you start figuring out, you know, how, how to get things done, how to take the bus from A to B and how to, you know, go grocery shopping and how to get things uh, operating in a semi-normal way for you. And I do believe in the conversations I've had, I think people, that's kind of where people are now is it's not ideal. It's not what they're used to. It's not their prior, you know, living arrangement, but, you know, we are figuring things out. Um, what's going to be interesting is six months from now, which is the last six miles milestone is <laughs> it, when you're an expat, that's when you really don't want to go back to where you were. <laughs> you just kind of want to stay, uh, stay where you've been. And that's the question, I guess, is, you know, do you think that, uh, you know, how many of us will, uh, you know, maintain or try to maintain this new way of working, uh, uh, you know, regardless of how things, uh, how things change. So that's, that's one I mean, thing that I, I, yeah, you know. a great perspective. I mean, I was, uh, listening to Pedro Earp, uh, from ABI talk about, he's the global CMO of Anheuser-Busch InBev, uh, about just how efficient everything is. And even my team, I mean, you know, you, you can't believe it. I mean, you, you'd be on a, you'd be in a seven hour workday, uh, video conferencing with people in seven completely different locations that maybe historically you might travel to. And just the the loss of time and efficiency from that is, uh, I mean, it's unbelievable. I, I, I hope that we do take some lessons out of this, out of this crisis. And there's a little bit of a silver lining there. Um, and that we just get some time back in our lives and drive towards even more incremental efficiency. I didn't know that expats want to stay after 
six months. Hopefully <laughs> we're not, yeah. hopefully we're not locked down for six months. But, uh, Cause I'm, I'm there already. I was there in six days that, Hey, yeah. great. we can talk to people all over the place. Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess, I guess that depends, but I mean, the other, the other model I keep thinking of is, is, an, you know, it's not, it's, it's not a new one. It's been around since the sixties. Um, you know, and that's called the emotional cycle of change. And I think it was Kubler-Ross who came out with that in 1969. Everybody knows it as kind of the five stages of grief, right? But actually, you know, the model is really useful from a leadership perspective, you know, especially when you have to coach a team or coach a team member or when you think about our consumers because, you know, to a large degree, this is kind of what we've been going through as a community with this crisis. You know, if you think about the the five stages, you know, first there's uninformed optimism, you know, like, well, this is, you know, not going to affect me. Uh, you know, we're going to come through this very quickly, you know, moving into informed pessimism where, you know, the facts start becoming more available uh, and then, you know, coming out of the, the valley of despair into hopeful realism, you know, um, and, 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 you know, eventually moving into some sort of informed optimism. And, and I, I, I go to this model because I think it can help marketers and leaders think a little bit around, you know, what's the role that their brand can play, if any, in, the, in each of those stages, and what's the role of marketing leaders within each of those stages with their team? Huh, fascinating. And so you would advise marketers to understand the, the mood or where, the, where the, their target customers are, are in that stage and then, and then to real-time adjust how to best serve them. Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's an important question to ask. I mean, I think, uh, and I think that would vary by category, uh, you know, the, uh, the appropriateness of and the tone and the type of message that you use in each of those stages as people go through those, um, you know, those phases um, and, and understanding, you know, you know, what are their needs during those stages at a very base level and tying that back to your brand purpose to determine what's the right level of action uh, to take, um, and, and it might not it might not be messaging, right? It might be more action focused. So, so that's Love it. so so that's that's one thing I thought of, and you know, and I guess the the other thing is uh, through this we think about in both of those, you know, whether it be the rule of sixes or the five stages, is you know anybody who's ever been through a life change, positive or negative can relate to the fact that, you know, this idea of going back to what's normal, it, it's kind of a bit of a red herring, you know, and I hear people talking all the time around, oh, you know, when are we going to get back to normal? When is normal going to come back? But when you think about it, you know, when you go through a change like that, it's never a return to a normal. It's more of a definition of, of a new normal and feeling normal, even if things have changed dr- dramatically within your lives. You know, um, whether you've gone through personal grief of losing someone important to you or uh, had a health scare, you know, you're forever changed by that. Your normal changes as well. And I think that's the way we need to think about this crisis is not something that's temporarily going to be in our lives and then not. And we're going to have a big party to celebrate returning to normal. I don't think that's going to happen. I I think it's going to be a new normal that we might not even recognize when we're living it fascinating you know even wonder like you're saying the word normal like like what is normal is normal is normal when when you wake up you're not anxious about anything i mean when when the hell is that going to happen there's always something to be anxious about it's normal normal where you're doing 
the same thing you did today that you did yesterday or last week? I mean, it's a fascinating concept. We're going to do some research on that, and I'll, I'll send it to you. What like what is normal to to people around the world? And 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 I agree with you. I think that we are not going to go back to the way things were. I mean, you look at how previous crises, depression, for example, the depression, for example, and how that shaped generations to be savers and their kids to be savers. And, you know, we've been without one of those crises for a while. And, um, you know, <laughs> as, as, this is this is our trade is marketing and helping people understand how brands and products can make them happier. You know, you, you, we all wonder what what is going to happen. And we're actually seeing a lot of our clients anyways across a variety of industries want to have a good understanding and a real time pulse of how those consumer needs are changing through this. And we're running surveys right now. It's changing every day, depending on what, you know, Trump says, depending on what the CDC says, depending on what the WHO says. Lots of uh, conflict coming out around, like, what are U.S.-China relations going to be? So I love it. So you don't you don't think there's going to be a new normal and use the brand purpose to help navigate that those changing needs. I love it. I mean, what, what about principles? Do you have any, like, principles that you might advise marketers take into consideration as they try to navigate these changing times? Yeah, I mean, I think like there are some principles that, you know, I think we should, that are, I've probably been around for a long time and we probably have spoken about before as marketers many times. I just think that they're, you know, um, more critical now than ever to kind of hold up. Um, you know, I would look at like, you know, we've often talked about brand purpose and marketers and, uh, agencies have often talked about, well, brand purpose marketing coming in or out of fashion. And is it, you know, is it, is it a flavor? Is it a time, a trend to talk, to do purpose driven marketing? Uh, now it's not. And I, and actually, you know, I think that's the wrong way of looking at it. I think, you know, a brand purpose should help guide action. Uh, not necessarily communication is one tenet of that action. You know, I think of, uh, you know, I think of retail brands in specific right now, you know, looking at your brand purpose and, you know, how does it inform the action that you take at a very grassroots level can be very powerful. I mean, I look, for example, at Loblaws, right? Uh, and the action they've taken, uh, and I, I don't think I'm the only one that's looking at, you know, the fantastic job that they're doing right now, but, you know, the action that they've taken as far as rewarding their frontline workers or, uh, you know, shifting their focus on resourcing um, uh, their e-commerce side. And I think those are all, you know, marketing efforts and action action focus. They're not necessarily about what they're talking about or, or a TV spot. Uh, it, it is driven by action. So I think that is one is, is think about brand purpose from a, a point of view of usefulness and action uh, from those who, who need it most. The other one I would I would say um, is simplicity, you know, and I think that you know we've always, as marketers, had a way of complicating things that you know are very very can be very very simple. And I I always love the rule, and you know, was fortunate to have uh, have uh, have a, a coach at Diageo who was a master uh, at this principle, and, and that is the rule of threes. You know, keeping it very very simple because people people can't retain. A lot of information, and three is usually the max. I mean, have you ever wondered why the U.S. Uh, is U.S. gravitates around life, liberty, and happiness? And and, and the actual pursuit reason for happiness. that, pursuit yeah, pursuit of happiness. You never Sorry, pursuit of there. pursuit That's of happiness. Idea. You're absolutely correct. The pursuit of happiness. But, but the the reason those three are called out is because you know 
everybody had to understand that. And they, they wanted to make sure the authors of, of those words wanted to make sure that they were well understood by as many people as possible. And, and I think there's a lesson there for marketing leaders. To, you know, we're talking about the actions we're going to take even you know during this moment is make sure we're thinking about how do we communicate the, that in a simple way that everybody from the frontline worker to the CEO office can understand uh, what we're doing and what we're talking about. I, I mean, I love the, I love the principle of using you know talk, explain it to me in the way that you would explain it to your grandmother, right? I love <laughs> it. Make it very simple. I love it. I love it. Um, and then and then a couple other ones I would say you know as far. I think during moments of crisis, you know, what I've seen work really, really well is just you, you try to think about how do you remain informed? Because, the, you know, you mentioned you mentioned it exactly, Shane, when you're talking about, um, you know, the information changing so rapidly. And they, it, it often happens that way during periods of crisis for brands. You know, it's important to under, understand, you know, and identify what don't you know, as well as what you do know. And, and what uncertainties are you going to track on a regular basis? Um, it sounds very common sense, but, you know, when you don't have all the information because you never will, uh, you need to plan against what you do, but also plan against what you don't know. Um, uh, track the unknown and assign, assign the right point people to deliver that against a an understood timeline, whether that be hourly or daily or uh, you know, twice a day, how are those updates going to come and what are the important uncertainties that you're going to solve for? I mean, it's fascinating. So that's that's exactly what, what our experience has been too, is just real-time everything. We're working with a few clients, overnight message testing, same-day testing. I mean, it's amazing. And in research now, you can get, I mean, those surveys that that I ran, I mean, this is this is what research like these days. I, I didn't want to inconvenience my staff who are busting their ass right now. I mean, they are... are workflow is off the charts and I didn't want to inconvenience them to do a couple of surveys that we ran to help restaurants and salons out to get back on track. And, and I mean, now you can program a survey and get respondents in like 10 minutes. You can get a thousand people to yeah. answer for not, a, not a break the bank cost, like sometimes 50 cents a person just because they want to, they want to have their voice heard. So I love that you're talking about, you know, the idea of speed and agility um, and staying on top of that. So, so, so action, simplicity, informed, and, have you got an, uh, one more principle? I, I guess the last one is just around, you know, transparency, really. And I think, you know, there's no shortage of um, case studies on, you know, how brands manage crises uh, through transparency. And I, I always go back to, you know, the whole Canadian case here with McCain, if you remember. I mean, all, I'm old enough to remember in 2008 yeah. where yeah. they went through that contamination yeah. issue. And, and I just yeah. remember the, the courage of, uh, you know, Mike McCain you know, coming out and talking about what they were going to do, what they were responsible for, how they were going to address it, and just what an impact that made. And I just think of the massive courage it took to be that transparent with the public, with his team, um, and with the organization. Uh, and and I just, you know, I, I think about you know, how can brands apply that to what's going on today? Obviously, what's going on is purely external. You know, it, it, and, and it's not about like accepting blame for what's going on, but I think being transparent around what the issues are that you're trying to solve for and w you know, what progress you're making on those issues is important to share with your team. Yeah, I agree. He did that well. We actually were working for Maple Leaf Foods when that was happening and we're like doing, as you said, real-time tracking of how was the message being received, 
we were, we, you know, I will say <laughs> we didn't test his scripts. He was very deliberate about what he was going to say. Uh, we just wanted to make sure that it was landing, landing appropriately with people. And, and, and I love that you called that out. I also really like Neil McLaughlin from RBC coming out with some of his messaging and, and out soon about how RBC was really going to step up and help Canadians who were under financial strain and have a client relief program, yeah. uh, you know, really, really hit home. I think it resonated very well across, uh, you know, the country. And I think it, it helps some of the other, the other big banks actually follow suit and start to play that role. Cause what we're in is both a health and a money crisis. And I think the bank, RBC in particular are doing a good job stepping up to help Canadians. Yeah. I mean, so, I think, you know, we're, this is where we're so, we have so much advantage nowadays right to to your point to be able to do these dipstick studies and understand i mean i've even seen some brands during periods of crises you know even test you know message hierarchies with consumers to understand you know weekly communication you know how to optimize the flow and the narrative with consumers in the right way for maximum impact of course holding all the transparency and other principles true but you know i think getting very strategic with how do you ask questions around those messages can be very very helpful totally agree totally agree all right so so you know um what's next like what do you want to talk about next like how, how do brands actually do this and bring this to life i mean i i pushed you uh in our pre-call quite a bit to tell us the horror stories when you were either coke or samsung but i think rightfully so to protect your uh assets have, have, are gonna hold true to not disclose and i also don't think it's the right thing to do either um but every now and then a story gets into the media and you can tell more about it but just just why don't you tell us some stories out of your career that you think are relevant to what we've been talking about because you know we all love a good story yeah, no, listen, I mean, I think, um, you know, I've had the uh, the honor to work with some amazing teams uh, here in Canada and abroad and, and organizations that have many different processes and frameworks to deal with crises. You know, the, I can't talk about, obviously, details uh, of specific crises for any of those companies. But what I can talk about is like a company like Coke, I think, if you look at some of the structures that they had in place to deal with uh, crisis management, I thought were you know really amazing. They have a process called IMCR, which stands for Incident Management and Crisis Resolution. And uh, you know, being part of that organization and seeing that process put in place uh, was was incredible for a number of reasons. It was fully understood by the entire organization what this process was and how it goes in place and when it goes in place. And so, you know, once it gets called that we need to have one of these IMCR uh, process put in place, everyone understands what to do. And I think that is really, really critical. Who's in the room, you know, where the conversations are, are happening, how often they're happening. And I think the other part of it is it clearly calls out, you know, who are the, the right people to be in there across legal, public relations, brand or marketing, uh, finance, uh, you know, who are the right uh, uh, leaders to be in that process? Uh, and when I say leaders, I don't just necessarily mean the C-suite uh, level. I mean, leaders throughout the organization. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, would, I wanted to share that with you because I thought it was an interesting thing. Many organizations out there, you know, might have one of those processes put in place coming out of this crisis that we're all in. They might have something that they find works really well for them. Um, I think it's really important that as long as as long as they as they have one that everybody understands. 
And then, yeah, you know, the other thing I was, so the other thing I was thinking about was, you know, many of us within the marketing community and have dealt with event management and experiential as a key kind of marketing um, uh, uh, tool in our toolkit. It's a very important one. And, uh, you know, some of the, the tools that Unilever had put in place uh, when I was there, uh, you know, were absolutely important in the depth of scenario planning that went into these sorts of experiential events. Um, it can be scary to plan these things out. They're not great conversations because it really forces you to, you know, think about with your PR partners, with your agency partners, and with leadership, what are the worst things that can happen <laughs> when yeah, you're putting on do. an event? And they do. Sometimes. Speakers fall. Uh, geez, remember the thing in Vegas with the gun? I mean, st- shit happens. And I think I think in times of crisis, it's nice to have a playbook that you dust off and pull off the shelf that guides you in, in that time where there's very high stress, high anxiety, and decision-making might not be at its finest. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just very simple questions, you know, like who can make what decision when something happens? If, is it, if it's a, you know, red, yellow, or green uh, type scenario? You know, when does when does something get elevated to the North American office? Uh, you know, th- those sorts of questions you don't want to be figuring out on the fly. You want to try to have a playbook uh, in place to help guide you, uh, because to your point, you never know when something's going to happen. Yeah, great point. It's good to, good to plan ahead, plan for the worst. Yeah, it can serve you. And then the last thing I think, you know, just when, when I think about kind of how brands can can think about uh you know how they how they behave in these uh, in in this time it comes down to you know some simple leadership behaviors as well um you know the, i always think about um when i was at diageo they had a uh, there was a way of thinking around the role of internal comms uh internal communication versus external communication and and they call it you know the, the wheels of influence uh, and if you think about it it's hard to visualize on a podcast obviously but if you think about you know a bunch of cogs lined up in a row you know smallest to largest uh, you know the smallest cog mm. on there the first cog that needs to happen from a communication perspective is often internal employees and internal stakeholders and understanding you know from a message deployment it's important for them to understand first because that cog will help move the second cog which is your customers and your partners you know how do they understand the messaging and the action that the brand is taking the third cog would be uh, influencers and i mean influencers in a broad way not necessarily like instagram influencers but you know what are the influencers within the market and then the last one the biggest cur- biggest cog on that on that wheel would be you know consumers and the public and trying to understand mm-hmm. how do you navigate your communication from an internal through external uh, in a strategic way uh, is is really really important clever good yeah i guess i guess the more aligned and coherent and and, and the higher the impact, the creative, the faster you spin that wheel. And I, I, I would guess the how, how does the metaphor work? Is the bigger that wheel is, the more profit you make, or the faster it spins, or <laughs> something good happens when you spin yeah, it? Guess, People get promoted guess, and brands grow. Yeah, I guess the key idea is that you know each of the cogs moves the larger cog as it gets broader and broader, and and you know it's so easy for us as marketers to think about jumping right to the last cog, which is consumers and the public. In, in how we deploy messages and marketing when actually, you know, that message deployment can be so much more powerful if we start with, uh, you know, our internal 
consumers first and our employees and our teams, uh, our frontline workers uh, first, uh, everything becomes more powerful as we move through that chain. Great. Got it. Very powerful. Okay. And then what about teams? I mean, you know, uh, the smaller cog is your internal people. Like, how do you, how do you, what's your view as to how to get teams, you know, how to, how to lead them properly, particularly in a crisis? Yeah. You know, I was thinking about this question and again, I come back to, you know, I think there are some very simple leadership principles that just become more and more important during periods of crisis like now, especially now when everyone's working remotely, it's you know so important that leaders engage their teams um, in the right way um, uh, because people are feeling confused and uh, concerned about their future. You know, back when we were at that Banff, that conference in Banff, uh, there was a great speaker named Gene Hammett. And uh, he uh, spoke a little bit around some work that he did looking at you know, the highest performing organizations uh, in, in the market and understanding, you know, what did these organizations have in common at the team level? What were great teams, uh, what great teams look like for these organizations? And, and, and you know, they came, he came up with three values uh, and, and, and three important principles for leaders to focus on. Uh, to to create high performing teams and I and I think that they actually stick right now more than ever. You know, the first one is really around vision and values. Uh, you know, and you and I talked a little bit about this. I know it's something that you, uh, Shane, uh, you know, hold dear with your team, and that and that is really the communication of you know where are we going, aligning on you know what are we addressing, how are we doing it, what do, what's the roadmap look like. And and what are the values that we're going to hold up, and how we and how we get there? So I think you know, vision is the first is the first common thing that great teams and great leaders instill. The second one I think is pride. You know, people on a team should feel like they're playing to their strengths. You know that they're contributing in a, in, a, in a time of need what they're really good at. <laughs> you know, uh, rather than you know just being kind of resources, people should feel like they're contributing. Uh, you know, to their strengths, uh, to the team, uh, and I and I I call that pride because I think it is a sense of pride and you know what you're bringing, contributing to the group. And then the third one again is 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 empowerment. You know, and you hear this time and time again, but you know, fostering a, a culture. Uh, you know, there's, there's a term called radical candor, right? Uh, that allows people at all levels of their organization to bring forward criticisms or ideas that could help change the trajectory uh, of the work being done. Uh, it's very difficult to do because so many organizations are, you know, very hierarchical. But, uh, you know, I think trying to foster a culture where people are empowered to contribute uh, their thoughts is, is, is something that these high-performing teams have in common. So, so that's, those are kind of the things that I, I hold true as a leader, but, but I also think that they're grounded in, in a little bit of general uh, insight around you know, what high-performing teams look like. Dave, uh, radical candor. It's um, I mean, it's a good framework for giving people the feedback that they need to get that might be hard to give them sometimes. And uh, you know, after you practice it a bit, I found anyways, I find it. Um, I found that it's been incredibly helpful just in creating high-performing teams. So you know, you know, back back to marketing. You know, what what brands do you think do have you know? 
through this crisis are doing a really good job uh, standing out. I mean, there's lots of different stuff out there. I mean, I had a, uh, I saw a reel and I'll send you this and I'll put it in the show notes as well too, but it's, it's a, uh, uh, smash reel or whatever you call it of 50 different ads, um, about the crisis come together from 50 different brands. And they look like they're all written by the same person. And I think in many cases they use the same voice model or voice talent <laughs> to, to do it. And, um, it's just, it's just this, uh, sea of sameness in many cases but you know there are some brands that are that are really standing out i mean what do you see out there like what do you think what do you think's really getting it right right now through this crisis yeah I, I mean i don't know i mean you and i talked a little bit about i feel i feel like you know obviously there are some brands that are getting the limelight for is doing a great job but the truth is you know we're all working in unprecedented times and i think you know before we go calling out brands or organizations that are doing an amazing job i think you know everybody needs to feel like they're doing the best that they can and and i think that's job number one is that you know i think um you know we we all need to get through this and we're all doing the best that we can to get through it together you know that being that being said you know it depends on the context how brands are you know approaching the market and consumers during this time i I think, you know, one important category I think to look at is the retail landscape, just because there's been so much pressure uh, on how to adapt to new ways of engaging, you know, with the re- with retailers in this country. And I found that I find that fascinating to see how, you know, our big pillars of retail are adapting to that. I already called out, you know, Loblaws. Uh, doing an amazing job, uh, you know, and I, I, I've I've experienced it personally. I don't. I'm sure many have. Where you know, at one point you you couldn't even get a delivery slot, and then it's solved within you know a couple of days. They figured out how to redeploy their resources where consumers uh, need it to be. You know, yeah. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, go ahead, Let's go ahead, Shane. It's a hundred hundred thousand new employees at Amazon. Yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. big unemployment in the U.S. No problem. Amazon, we, we're anticipating a surge in demand. 100,000 new employees hired and deployed. Yep. It's incredible. Yep. It is incredible. And, you know, and I, I know Walmart's doing the same thing uh, in, in this market and many others. And and I know everybody, you know, all the major retailers are doing their best to try to rapidly evolve. And I think, you know, if you look at markets like the UK that are much more mature from an e-commerce perspective, you know, I think that maybe, uh, you know, perhaps coming out of this will be uh, closer to where those markets are as far as an understanding about how that retail market works. Um, you know, having lived in the UK myself, you know, there were times where I, you know, I barely went to a grocery store at all. It was all e-commerce grocery delivery. Uh, and it was very convenient and well understood. And I think if anything coming out of this, you know, the general public, uh, will probably gain an appreciation and understanding of, of, of how to do things like grocery shopping in a different way. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We, we obviously have a lot of CPG grocery clients. They're trying to figure out how do you sell like a sugary baked good without someone walking by it and having an impulse to buy it? How do you make a donut look as good as you can on a digital screen as you do in store? It's a lot easier to not buy when you're looking at it on your phone, when you're looking at it when it's two feet away from you and all your system one prehistoric impulses are like there's a lot of sugar salt and fat in that let's eat it now so it's, it's almost going to reform how that how that grocery 
experience runs. And um, it's going to be fascinating to see how uh, how brands adapt to that. McKinsey, I think, said it's a fast-forwarding e-commerce, something like seven years, yeah. because people are now being forced to do it. And you, know, you just wonder: Do you think? Do you think that that uh, you know need to go to the store and shop is going to be there? I mean, in our brains, we all have this prehistoric capability to wander savannas and look for food. Do you think? Do you think that's going to go away? Well, I think you know. It's, it's funny. I was on a um, a web conversation uh, last night, and you know, somebody and, I, and I, I wish I had written down who said it because I thought it was very insightful. You know, uh, I brought up a quote that's saying, you know, you, you could go to New York and you can buy anything that's available in New York online, uh, but it's not shopping in New York. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Screw that. <laughs> and I think that that's such a great way to think about it. You know, I think it, looking forward, uh, how where where does the experience of retail uh, land? Because I think you're you're right that that's really hard to replicate in an e-commerce world, and still such an important part, not only from a profitability perspective in this market, but but it is an emotional part of of, of being a consumer in this country. Uh, we, we do like going shopping and being in locations and having that experience. So so I think that's a really good question around how that's going to look in the future coming out of this. Cool. Other brands like who else is getting it right? What else are you see? Well, the the other area that I I love looking at is you know kind of the the local small business. I mean, it's such a huge portion of our GDP. Uh, and you know, I think everybody understands at this point. Yeah, percent yeah. of our GDP. Yeah. Everybody understands that it's kind of probably going to be the hardest hit segment, uh, you know, from this crisis, and 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 I just love seeing the ingenuity. I think within within that world and in, in, in how to address and, and a lot of it, you know, it's like small retail shops about quickly adapting to how do they do uh, curbside pickup and online ordering to adapt to uh, the needs of their consumers. You know, a local. Uh, butcher called Sanigans out here in the East End has done a great job. It was right out front and and thinking about how can they, uh, uh, you know, still service their the market in a way that is uh, uh, consistent and uh, you know conscious of of, of consumer needs. Uh, you know, also some of the some of the breweries I think both here and domestically thinking about like, you know, okay, well we can't open our our brewery for sales, but we can open for deliveries <laughs> at, at certain times. And so how yeah, creatively great. can we use that right. to keep our consumers, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> keep our consumers engaged in the brand, uh, uh, even at the retail location. Too. They make alcohol, and they made sanitizers. You know, you heard about that as well. Yeah, yeah and smart. you know, there were even some brewers I thought was really smart out in in the UK that were uh, allowing consumers to. Uh, buy discounts for frontline workers working for the national healthcare uh, system and it. giving discounts to it. the NHS, NHS workers as well. And I think, you know, that's, it's just such a creative and genius way of, uh, of understanding their consumers and, and just being relevant. So, so, so that, that area as well. And then I think, you know, the, the, the retooling that you've talked about, you know, hand sanitizer, you know, Harry Rosen converting shirts to, to masks, I thought was very smart. Um, so yeah, and I I think what interests me too is where are we going to go from here? I mean, we talked about you know the importance of live experiences. I, I'm a big music fan, as you know, you know, and so you know, I was reading about you know Burning Man and you know how they are rethinking their festival this year and the live experience uh, through a virtual uh, uh, through a virtual approach. You know, I think that that's really brave versus just saying you know everything's canceled. They're going to think about how do they 
uh, you know, allow their community to redefine what that experience look like, looks like uh, in a virtual space. Yeah, I watched, uh, oh my God, I must have watched an hour and a half of Burning Man videos the other day. It's a, uh, if anyone's not been, do not miss doing that on your bucket list for life. It is unlike, it is so exponentially unlike anything else I've ever done. And it changed me. Jeez, like when my son, like right before my son was born, so 13 years ago. Ever since then, I mean, it was, uh, it's just a transformational, totally mind blowing experience. And yes, even Burning Man is not immune from the far reaches no. of uh, COVID 19. No, unfortunately, unfortunately. So, so those are you know, just when I think about, you know, what Brand said, there's so many examples of, of, of great work that's happening uh, and great ways of giving back to communities that are important to brands, whether that be bartenders or whether that be live yeah. music venues. Yeah. There's, there's many, many examples. And I think, you know, doing, doing what's right uh, is an important thing to think about, uh, you know, as a brand leader during this time, you know, there's lots of talk from the global marketing industry around, uh, you know, excess share of voice and maintaining your share of voice, which I think is all right the data is all there, but you know we often oversimplify that to think about GRPs and and running brand cell. You know we need to think more broadly around you know cause causes and supporting our consumers and stakeholder groups in need can also be a part of you know achieving that share of voice uh, at this time. That's great. So you know I talked about one silver lining that you know I don't I don't need to get on a plane and fly to Australia and then Japan and then China and then Brazil to do research for Toyota uh, the way I might have had to and my team might have had to um, I guess it's less, less little as six months ago less travel I mean what what other silver linings do you see coming out of this you know the old saying never let a crisis go to waste what do you, what do you think some of those outcomes and silver linings are? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, as as I mentioned, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure whether silver linings is the right word. I mean, I think that these are really desperate times, and I think, you know, it's it's unbelievable, you know, how out of control this crisis has become. Uh, you know, I think that we're all doing the best we can <laughs> to at this moment. So, you know, it feels a bit indulgent to be talking about silver linings when. So many are working so hard um, uh, for those in need. Uh, you know, if I can say anything, I think coming out of this, I, I believe there will be more appreciation for strategic marketing and thinking about things like, you know, your brand purpose, you know, and what your brand stands for at a very simple level. You know, what is the job your brand was hired to to do? You know, and uh, because I think you know, sometimes we get so caught up in the short-term tactical marketing, we often don't have the time to to stand back and think about those very simple questions as marketing leaders. And I, th I my hope is that we come out of this, or as we evolve as a community, you know, more of us will be in a position to answer that. That's very cool. Well, uh, you know. Like it's it's an incredible time, and you're right. Some very bad things are happening, but you know there are, there hopefully will be some good coming out of it. So, just before I say goodbye to you, um, I got a question because you know a lot of a lot of folks are gonna listen to this, and there there will be twenty uh, somethings that have just come out of business school or come out of art school or come out of philosophy or some kind of degree who wanna 
follow in your footsteps and, and rise to be a marketing leader at some of these big organizations like Coca-Cola and Samsung, what, what advice might you give to them that they could hold in the back of their mind? Uh, what advice or framework could you give to them that, that might help them efficiently get to the, to the pinnacle that, that you've reached, sir? Well, I mean, listen, I, uh, I think I'm always learning. <laughs> so I, the first thing is like never stop learning. And, and I think that's really, you know, one of the core values that, that I try to hold on to as a leader is just try to maintain a curiosity. Uh, you know, I think that is so, so critical uh, as a marketer is always ask questions. Cont- no matter how senior you get, you should always be asking questions you know, around why and how. Uh, things are happening the way they do because that's where the magic happens as marketers. Uh, so, you know, I know when I've, you know, had the privilege of interviewing candidates for roles within marketing, you know, the things that I really look for are, are a great sense of, cur- of, of, of curiosity, a, a passion for the industry and a passion for great marketing. Uh, and the last thing I think is around courage. You know, I think as marketers, we, we should we should be looking and feeling courageous within the organizations that we, that we operate. Uh, and it's not about being, you know, taking risks. It's really around understanding, you know, how we test and learn and continue that virtuous cycle uh, in and continuous optimization around what we're doing to make our brands more and more relevant to consumers. So those are the three things that I really, really look for. Uh, uh, curiosity, um, uh, courage, um, and uh, and passion. Fascinating, sage advice, ladies and gentlemen. Dave Allard, thank you so much for your time, Dave. That was one of the most remarkable podcasts that that I've ever done. So thank you so much for sharing. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure, pleasure, Shane. And hopefully, it won't be too long. We'll be on those slopes again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hot Specs Hotcast. Please check back for future episodes and insights at hotspecs.com slash hotcast.